on Memorial Day in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a 46-year-old African-American named George Floyd died in police custody. He died after a white police officer named Derek Chauvin kept his knee on George's neck for almost nine minutes. His death closely followed the release of a video showing the the February death of an unarmed black man in Georgia, 25-year-old Ahmaud Arbery. It was the latest incident of recorded violence against the black community. It unleashed an explosion of protests across America, protests against the racism, both individual and systemic, that remains prevalent in our nation today. And, And this included three protest marches in Tracy this past week. As Christ followers, we at Southwinds mourn the death of George Floyd, and we we join his family and the African-American community throughout our nation in, in crying out together in lament. We see the racism, we we see the pain, and we cry out as the psalmist does, saying, How long, O Lord? How long will justice delay? How long will the color of someone's skin put them in danger? Racism is undeniably a part of our nation's history. From the institution of slavery to the Jim Crow segregation laws to the exploitation of Native Americans, the exploitation of Asian and Hispanic immigrants to redlining in cities to the individual racist acts of countless men and women across our economic and political and social and religious spheres of life. As Christ followers, we recognize our only hope is in repentance because what we are talking about is sin, and and wherever we find sin, we must turn from it. Repentance must be individual and personal. We must each repent of sins we've committed explicitly or sins we are complicit in by our our silence or our, our tone deafness. Repentance must also be corporate. We must come together as God's people to denounce evil and the systems that support it. And we must together seek reconciliation. We must speak up and we must take action as God's spirit guides us. Southwinds is a multi-ethnic church family. Almost half of our congregation is African-American, Hispanic, Filipino, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Hmong, Corinne, to to name a few, there are many more. We are all followers of the one who died for all people, irrespective of skin color or ethnicity, irrespective of socioeconomic or social status. Southwinds is also a church family with many men and women who serve as first responders, and I am grateful for all of them in so many ways, and we are thankful for law enforcement We recognize the heavy responsibility of putting on a badge and willingly entering into harm's way to seek to protect fellow citizens. And and we recognize that the vast majority of first responders treat the people they encounter with justice and compassion. But we also call for leaders to confront and to deal with those who don't because justice demands it. This issue of race is both simple and complex. It's simple in that racism is sin and and we must repent and and we must turn from it in whatever form. But at the same time, finding solutions and answers societally is incredibly complex and we need God's wisdom because we cannot do this in our own strength. If nothing else, 400 years of American history proves that. We need God. 
And so as we are entering into this time of thinking about this issue, I I want us to pray right now before we go farther. Would you join me? Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Father, nothing that is happening right now has surprised you. Lord, you knew this day would come and you you have seen the, the pain and injustice. You've seen this coming for hundreds of years. You understand because you've experienced the greatest injustice of all, the, the death of your sinless son who gave his life so we could live. Father, we are a nation full of pain, of, of trauma, of rage. So many people that don't know what to do or where to go. So many things dividing us. And in the midst of this, we bow before you, our creator. We are your people, the church of Jesus And you have forgiven our sins and given us life. And we don't deserve your grace and mercy, but we receive what you have freely given, Lord, as your people. We have your spirit. Help us. Help us to love as you have loved us. Help us to speak, Lord, to the injustice, to the anger, to the violence, the fear. Help us to bring your peace to our nation, Lord. Help us to take action to to demonstrate love and righteousness and justice. Lord, in this moment, what we face seems insurmountable. And we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lord, will you heal our land? Will you bring peace? Will you make violence to cease? Will you restore what has been stolen? We pray for our leaders, Lord, at every level of government to have wisdom. And we, we pray for law enforcement to work with justice. We ask that you protect them as they serve. And Lord, we pray for churches to be salt and light, to bring the power of your Holy Spirit into the darkness and decay. Lord, we pray specifically for the churches of Tracy to show Jesus to our communities. And we ask, may we as Southwinds Church live as your people in these days. Father, we speak to people, to a nation in in so much pain right now. And Lord, we ask you to bring us together to find reconciliation, to find solutions. We confess our need of you. And we ask, Lord, may men and women of all races and ethnicities come to know your peace, the only peace that lasts. And out of our life in you, Lord, may we work together to be reconciled, to find answers, to restore justice and righteousness and hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. Well, today and next Sunday, I'm going to be talking to you about race, reconciliation, and the gospel. And I want to ask for your prayers I also want to ask for your patience because I'm going to be seeking to address what we are facing as a nation from a biblical perspective, but I am confident that I don't have all the answers. I am confident that I have many blind spots. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to miss saying some things that should be said and maybe say some things I shouldn't say. 
I begun uh, this week talking to members of our Southwinds family who are African Americans, uh, asking for their insight, listening to their hearts, and I'll continue to do that. And, and some of them are also police officers and therefore bring the perspective of, of Christ follower and African American and, and law enforcement together to think about this situation. Here's where we're headed this morning uh, because here's what the Bible teaches. God created us all one. We're all human, no distinction, but, but sin destroyed our oneness. Sin created separation and division and injustice. And it is only in the cross of Jesus that our, our oneness can be restored. You know, if you go to the Bible, you'll see that the Bible begins the racial conversation at the very beginning in the first chapter of Genesis. Listen to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, in those verses, the the grand creation narrative that just starts off the entire biblical drama, we, we find three amazing statements about who we are. Here's the first one. We are created. God created us. And there's so much more we could say about this, but here's what we need to see right now. God personally designed each one of us, and he has given all people meaning and purpose. We are not cosmic accidents. We are God's creation. Second, We were created in God's image. And this means that when God made us, he put something of himself in us. And and this is more than just consciousness, more than just the ability to think and grow and and develop. We have souls. And our souls are are what allows us to, to do what only humans can do, which is to be in a relationship with the living God. We are made in God's image. And The Bible teaches that God himself is community, that God is relationship. Did you notice the strange grammar in the passage from the Bible we just read? It's that term us for God. This is one of many references in the Bible to God's triune nature, that that God is Trinity, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is a community of three persons in one being, not three gods, but three persons who are one God, And here's why this matters for our discussion today. Because God is himself a community of oneness, he created us to be in community as well with each other and most importantly with him. You see, nothing else in all creation bears the image of God. Not plants, not animals, only human beings. Only we were made to be in community with our creator. And do you know what this means? It means you cannot be fully human. You you cannot be who you were made to be apart from a relationship with God. As author Oz Guinness has written, our primary calling is not to somewhere or to something, but to someone. If being human means that you were made in the image of God, by God, for relationship with God, then that means you will never experience full humanity until you are in that relationship. This means that, that searching for purpose apart from a relationship with God, it's like searching for answers where there aren't any. And it also means that every single human being has absolutely incalculable value. 
doesn't matter what color their skin is, how much money they make, where they live, or the state of their mental or, or their physical capabilities. Every single human being is of incalculable value and significance. And, and this single idea, it's one of the most radical in the world. It's not held by most worldviews. You know, the Christian biblical worldview holds that because we were created, we have value. That's why there is meaning and purpose to every life. And it also means that there is someone above and outside our existence, someone who stands over it in authority, in defense of the value of every person, that God himself is a defender of the value of every human being. There's a third statement in the Bible. It tells us about who we are. See, God created us in his image, and he, he also made us male and female. And this means that when God created human beings, he intentionally created diversity. He deliberately made us a race of men and women. And, of course, we know that beyond that, each of us is individually unique. God made all of us in his image as men and women, but then he, he gave each and every one of us utterly unique characteristics as men and women. And you know this, every human being who's ever been born is one of a kind. And no one has your fingerprints. No one has your voice pattern. No one has your unique heartbeat or, or your unique eyes. No one even has the outside shape of the rim of your ear. Out of over 7 billion people on the planet, you're the only one. And not just of the seven billion living now, you are the only you who ever has been or ever will be. But that's still not all when it comes to diversity. You have a skin, and that skin has a color. And most of us don't know this, but our current ideas about race are relatively new historically. And in fact, we don't even see them at all in the Bible. When the Bible talks about race, it's not about the color of skin. When the Bible talks about differences between people, it talks about how people come from different nations, different tribes, different languages, different people groups. There's not one single reference to people being differentiated by how they look. It's always about geography or culture or, or nationality. And all people, nations and tribes and lands, all originated with Adam and Eve. And that tells us there aren't multiple races. There's just one race, the human race. This is how the Bible puts it. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. In fact, when the Bible, you read the Bible, the Bible, you'll see it goes out of its way to not make physical appearance a way of, of separating or differentiating people. But this is how the apostle Peter put it. When the message of Jesus was breaking down cultural and geographic and ethnic barriers, Acts 10, 34 and 35 says, God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation. Now that phrase, God does not show favoritism, is an interesting one. In the original Greek text, it's one single word that is pronounced prosopolumptus. And this word meant literally to lay hold on a face. It was like literally saying God does not look at a person's face. And this means we shouldn't look at a person's face either. This means that all humans' distinctions used to determine value and significance, they're ruled out for God's people. This means any kind of racism is sin. You know, sometimes uh, Christians want to say, 
well, I'm kind of colorblind. I just really don't see color. That's not what Paul's telling us. He's not saying to ignore distinctions. He's just saying to us we must not use them to determine worth or status. And we should acknowledge color because God created color and everything God created is good. You know, to to many people of color, saying to them, I don't see color, is heard as, I I don't really see you. You're actually invisible. I'm actually not that interested in understanding your experiences or the burden that you might carry. When you put all that together, that gives us kind of a brief theology of race. But what does the Bible tell us? What does the Bible say to this circumstance that we're now facing as a nation With the rest of our time, I want us to look at what God says about racial unity. Where does it come from and what does it look like? You know, some of you right now hearing me may be thinking, why are we we talking about racism so much? I'm tired of all this. Well, if you're tired of hearing about racism, imagine how tired people must be who are experiencing it. It's far more prevalent than we think. Just a few weeks ago, an Asian Christian was commuting into New York City and was attacked verbally. A man in a mask said to this man, coronavirus is your fault. Why don't you people stop eating bats? And he was referring to the theory the virus started in a wet market in Wuhan, China. One of the reasons why as God's people we must stand up and speak up is that racism is nothing new. It's always been in the world wherever there were different kinds of people. And we actually see it reflected in the New Testament. Racial division was a virus the early church faced at its inception. You know, the culture around early Christ followers was divided in many ways and Christians absorbed those perspectives just like we today sometimes take on our culture's false ideas. Here's a starting point for God's people. Galatians 3, 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now look at this verse. This this verse points not to just two groups of people, but but six groups that experienced division. You, You see this reality. Jews were against Gentiles, and this was religious prejudice, and it made its way into the church. And you also had slaves versus masters. This was class prejudice. Slaves were poor. Masters were wealthy. Slaves didn't have rights. And then you had men versus women. Uh, Women basically had no rights at all in the first century. Uh, The culture was patriarchal. And, And so in the first century, we see these deep divisions across race, religion, and gender, a lot like today. These divisions were so deeply ingrained Um, that Jewish men actually in this time recited a prayer every day that went sort of like this. They would say, oh God, my creator, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile. I thank you, God, that you have not made me a slave. Blessed are you, oh God, because you have not made me a woman. Now think about what that did to the thinking of Jewish boys and girls and then Jewish men and women. And this was the culture Jesus was born into. This is the toxic culture the church of Christ was birthed in. And even even Jesus' first disciples were impacted by these perspectives. It's just the way the world has always been because of sin. But what happened is all six groups showed up for church. 
And they naturally experienced some conflict and division. And so the question became, well, how do these six groups find healing and unity in culture that's so bitterly divided? And God gives us an answer. And we find it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open that Bible and, and get it to this chapter Paul is writing this letter to a first century church that was racially divided. He wanted them to understand how central unity is to the kingdom of God. And so these are the words he wrote in Ephesians 2. Let's read them together. Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In other words, Christian unity is based on Christ. As Christians, we believe on the cross, Jesus took not only the sins of the world on himself, thereby building a bridge to God. We believe he also took a sledgehammer and knocked down the walls of hostility that separate people. You see, the cross is is both horizontal and vertical. In other words, your relationship with God is connected to your relationship with others on earth. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, think about this. Two groups who were bitterly divided came together and became one family, one new family. How did that happen? Well, Paul says in these verses in Ephesians 2, it's the, the blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus' death on the cross brings together the different races with their different cultures, that his blood, the cross, that made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from these different groups. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. You see, as long as we don't abandon the cross, we can know racial unity. And that tells us the reason why we don't have racial unity like God designed it is because our culture has abandoned the cross. The farther we've gotten from God, have you noticed the more divisive we've become? Our culture is all about divisive labels, black versus white, conservative versus liberal, men versus women. It's us versus them all the time. But to be a Christ follower means we have the blood of Jesus Christ which overrides all these divisions and connects us to God and then to each other, both the vertical and the horizontal. Look at Ephesians 2.14 again. It says that Jesus united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. I love that image. We often talk about the cross as the bridge that gets us to God, and that's true. But it's also a sledgehammer that knocks down the walls that separate people. Paul says it's kind of like this. Imagine this giant wall. It's a wall of hostility that separates different races. And he says, on the cross, Jesus took down that wall. 
I heard someone recently say that if you want to unearth the roots of racism in your own heart, there are three good questions that you should ask, and I want to give them to you. I think these will be good for us to to share in our life groups and discuss together. Here's the first question. What message about race did you receive from your family of origin? You know, growing up, our families did a lot to shape our view of different races, people, groups. That's just natural. And, and through their words or, or attitudes or behavior, some of us grew up being told certain things. We maybe were told that black people are dangerous. Some of us were told certain things about Hispanic people. Others of us heard messages about Asian people. Some of us were told we need to be very careful around white people. And you know, if you grew up in the suburbs, you heard certain messages. If you grew up in the city, you heard certain messages. If you grew up in the country, you heard certain messages. We, we all have these formative experiences. We all hear stories. And, and some of those stories are not true. They're actually lies. And they develop into scripts that we, we start following as we grow up. And, and that's how it is as kids. And we find that those things shape us as adults. So I want to encourage you to discuss this question with your life group this week. What what message about race did you receive from your family of origin? Here's a second question for your life group to unpack. Who are the people you were taught to fear? You know, some of us grew up and we saw our parents like lock car doors whenever we drove by certain individuals who are part of certain ethnic groups. That doesn't mean our parents were racists. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. A parent's job is to be protective, but maybe they were unintentionally communicating certain things about certain people groups. You know, we all have blind spots, and a lot of them come from our families of origin. When you accept Jesus, or you join a new family, you're adopted into the family of Christ. But here's the reality. You still can have blind spots. I heard someone say recently, even though you may have Jesus in your heart, you may still have grandpa in your bones, Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to break free from the attitudes and assumptions we inherited from our earthly family of origin. And we aren't sometimes even aware of what has shaped our worldview, but we need to get aware. So I want to challenge you to reflect honestly on that and to repent where you need to repent because racism is always based on the sin of superiority, right? I remember that prayer. You know, are there ways in which in your life somehow you're saying, thank God I'm not a Gentile or a slave or a redneck down south? Or you fill in the blank, your, your bias of choice. You see, racism is always essentially saying, I am in a place of judgment over and above my brother or my sister. Here's the last question for your life group this week. Who are the people you were taught were beneath you? It's kind of an interesting thing to consider that racial superiority is not always based on the color of skin. Did you know that? One of the things I've learned over the years as I've studied a number of situations is that even within uh, racial groups of the same skin color, there's like inter-race racism. For instance, uh, in the Latino community, there can be hostility between Mexicans and Salvadorans or between Puerto Ricans or Dominicans and Haitians and And in recent decades, I mean, just think about this around the world. We've seen genocide in Europe and in Africa, white versus white, black versus black. And this sin of superiority, it's not just about skin color. It it comes from the sinful attitude that says, I am better than you. I'm superior to you. I, I have more worth than you. 
It's saying that another person is worth less than you, somehow beneath you in some way. And, and some of you know this personally. When this gets absorbed into the soul of a child, it can be devastating. Many of you have stories how growing up you wished you could change your skin color or the way your hair looked so that you could fit in. I heard this week about a Korean woman who talked about growing up and feeling so inferior to her majority white peers as a little girl. She says, remember wanting to, to, to wash the Korean off because of the shame she felt. She told about how her sister would put tape on her eyelids to change the, the shape of her eyes. And, and friends, that's the toxic impact of racism. And we need to call it out for what it is. It's satanic because it poisons the truth that every man, woman, and child is created equal in the image of God. See, we are created by God with, with glorious worth as glorious equals, equal in respect, equal in dignity, equal in honor. God is our Father. So, so understand this. Racism is not fundamentally a white issue or a black issue. It's not an Asian or Latino issue. It's a human issue that impacts every person. And that's what Jesus came to fix. Again, Ephesians 2.14 says, that Jesus united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So again, we see this. The, the, wall, the cross isn't just a bridge that gets you to God. It is a sledgehammer that breaks down the wall, the wall of hostility between peoples of, of whatever race or ethnicity. Think about this. The, the cross humbles those who've lived under the illusion of superiority and it elevates those who've lived under the burden of inferiority. The cross, it tears down the dividing walls because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Friends, God sees our divisions and he says, I want to heal the hostility between my children and I will get peace, but I will not do it by spilling black blood or white blood or blue blood. I'm going to spill the red blood of my son, Jesus. Ephesians 2.15 says, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, there is no such thing anymore as us versus them. There's just us. And there will be no justice until there's just us, you and me. Paul says together in one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by his death on the cross. Christ killed our hostility toward each other by the cross. Christ nailed racial hatred to that cross, nailed racial superiority to that cross. He nailed racial indifference to that cross. The Bible tells us Jesus was not the only thing that died on the cross. So did our hostility toward each other. You know, Christ's blood goes into our wounds like a vaccine and it kills the virus of racism. When we truly experience him, it gives us a love for God who then gives us a love for others, especially for others who look different than us. And so to be a Christian doesn't mean just, well, you know, hopefully God's going to blend us all together and, and I'm on my way to heaven in the afterlife. No, it, it also means that God is transforming your way of relating to people on earth right now because you're no longer defined by being black or white or yellow or brown, but because of Jesus. It's just we all bleed red in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters, blood brothers and sisters. In other words, really think about this. Because of Jesus, as a, as a white man, 
I actually have more in common with my black, Hispanic, or Asian brother or sister than I do with my own biological family who do not know Christ. Jesus' blood brings together people of different cultures and backgrounds and communities. It bonds us spiritually. The Bible teaches that God's dream, God's dream is oneness. It's not sameness. God loves diversity. He's the one that created the races and all the sorts of different racial variety. In fact, you should know this. It is so important. Our diversity here on earth will continue into heaven. Did you know that? Did you know that the the book of Revelation actually gives the racial profile of heaven? Here's a description of your future home if you're a Christian. It's in Revelation chapter 7. It's verse 9. And John uh, the apostle has this vision of heaven. And this is what he writes. Look at this verse. He says, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. (laughs) You may think the the Bay Area is racially diverse, and it is, but wait till you get to heaven. Just for a moment in Revelation, God pulls back that curtain and reveals this multi-ethnic family with this glorious racial profile, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. And friends, that's God's dream. That's your future family as a Christ follower. So maybe a reality check for some of us. Like if you, <laughs> if you don't like diversity on earth, well, you're not gonna like heaven very much. I want you to understand something. Heaven will not dissolve our racial differences. The the race you are now on earth, that will be your race in heaven. That means if you're a Latino on earth, you'll be Latino in heaven. If you're black now, you'll be black in heaven. If you're Asian now, Asian in heaven. If you're white now, you still won't know how to dance in heaven. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? God's goal is not to obliterate racial distinctions and to create some kind of monochromatic conformity God is not calling black believers to be white or white believers to be brown. Oneness does not replace race. It overrides it. Oneness in Christ takes priority. And that, again, is what Paul's talking about in Galatians 3.28 when he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, when Paul wrote these words, He shook the first century world because never before in the history of humanity had someone dared to declare equality between the races, equality between the classes, equality between the sexes. And Paul could do that because the gospel knocked over every dividing wall. I want you to notice this. Did you hear it? Did you see? Did you you hear the order in which Paul addresses them? Jew, Gentile, slave-free, male, female, It's kind of like, hmm, where have we heard those combinations before? Well, remember, Paul was a Jewish man. He grew up reciting that that prejudicial prayer. God, thank you for not making me a Gentile or a slave or a woman. And Paul says now, wrong prayer. Paul says now, the gospel declares we are all one in Christ. That there is oneness and there is unity And that became the battle cry in the early church. And it was the church that just flung open its doors to every nation, tribe, people, and language, to the rich, to the poor. 
It was Jesus' church that championed racial and gender equality in a bitterly divided world that helped heal that divide. This Christian vision of unity in Christ is what gives us hope in a fractured world. I mean, just think about this. If, if the early church hadn't overcome their racial divisions, you and I wouldn't be here right now. There would be no black Christians, Asian Christians, Middle Eastern Christians, Latino Christians, or white Christians. Through Christ, they overcame their racial ethnic hostility. And I want you to notice something. The solution to that did not come from the culture. The solution to that did not come from the government. It came from the church of Jesus Christ because we have in the cross the power. We have the message. We have the gospel. Friends, the only thing we don't have is an excuse. So here's where we end today. I want to just ask you, to think about this, what can you do this week to take steps toward unity? And I want to encourage and challenge you to discuss this in your life groups because we want this to be an ongoing discussion in our church family. I want to end with some practical steps. And I'm drawing these from an article written by an African-American leader in our denomination, a man who actually is a third cousin to George Floyd. Four action steps. They all begin with the letter L. Here's the first one. You can write this down. Lament. We must lament our personal sins and the sins of our nation. When we hear and we see the destruction that racism brings, it must move us to tears. Our lamenting must move us to stand for justice. And I want you to know that lamenting will almost always include repenting. Maybe... You have specific racial sins you need to turn from. Maybe you need to repent of ignorance. We all have racial blinders. And it's interesting, think about this. Prejudice is often almost impossible to see in the mirror because it's hidden in our hearts. And so that means change has to start at the heart level. You know, when we look around right now and we see the world on fire, maybe instead of pointing fingers, we should look inside, look in our hearts, and we should see if somebody lit a match. Like I I begin to realize that I've been blind to racial suffering. You know, this is a deeply complex issue, and we should own that. And this means we shouldn't settle for simplistic, vague platitudes. It's been said that the the further you are from a problem, the simpler the solution looks. And so lament, enter in. Second, listen. Every person has a story. And there is power in sincerely listening to others. Ask questions. Have conversations marked by humility. Broaden your circle of friends to include people who are not part of your natural in-group. And know that it is okay if it's awkward, especially at first. Not too long ago, a public religion research institute study found in a 100-friend scenario, white people typically had just one black friend, one Hispanic friend, and one Asian friend. The other 97 were white. Black people didn't do much better. Out of 100, they had eight white friends and two Hispanic friends, and no Asian friends. All of us need to take the posture of learners. We need to be slow to offer our point of view. We need to make sure we don't act like we know everything. 
And some of you really need to hear this. Instead of maybe, instead of maybe posting a political rant on Facebook, how about investing the time in actually meeting face-to-face or over Zoom with a friend? Listen and remember always that we are Christians first, that Jesus unites us together by his blood. Third, love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love values every life regardless of skin color. Love is patient with others, with others who don't see the world the way we see it. And finally, lead. This pandemic of racism has been around for hundreds of years and it continues to disproportionately impact the African-American community. So as Christians, we need to step forward to do whatever we can to end this pandemic. I want to read a a, a statement from this leader who gave these four words of, of action steps. Here's what he writes. He says, leadership is more than just a moment. It must be a movement. The difference between a moment and a movement is sacrifice. We must all be willing to make the sacrifice for a brighter future. To lead is to speak truth to power. And as Christians, we have the truth. We must lead with courage. You know, God's dream for his people is unity in Christ and diversity in his family. And it must be our dream too. I don't know all that God is calling us to do yet as a church. I believe we have individually and corporately much soul searching and praying and working together to make sure that we are advancing God's kingdom in truth and in love, in justice and in righteousness. And I don't know where that journey will take us, but I know we need to start. So let's begin. God has brought us together by the blood of Christ. God has put his spirit in us to guide us. And Southwinds, God will lead us as we follow. I'm gonna invite you now to pray with me. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? Will you join as we lift our hearts together to the Father? As we pray, I wanna encourage us to just um, search our own hearts first. Would you ask God to open your eyes to the reality of your own heart? Would you ask him to show you if there are any hidden sins that you need to repent and confess? Ask Jesus to forgive and and cleanse and restore wherever he needs to do that. Ask Jesus to give you eyes healed by grace to see your brothers and sisters like he does. Father, we come today in a spirit of repentance. God, we are grieved at all that goes on right now around us. And Lord, we lament wherever we have played a part. We, we ask you, Father, to show us where we need to change. We ask you to change our hearts. May, may change begin, Lord, with your people, with your church. Father, we pray that as your people, you would give us a spirit of unity in the midst of the, the beautiful diversity that you have placed here at Southwinds. Lord, we long to be salt and light. We, we long for everyone in our communities to know the grace and the mercy and the love that we have found in Jesus. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for giving your body on that cross 
Lord, for the, the blood poured out, your, your death that tears down the wall, the, the wall that, that separates us from you, O holy God, the wall that separates us from each other. And Father, we pray that we would become the church you have created us to be for your glory, Lord, for our blessing and for the good, God, for the good of the cities in which you have placed us and called us. We pray all of these things now together as your people, God, and we pray them in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said, amen and amen. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I want to encourage you to take what we have experienced in worship today with deep seriousness. Let's enter into the week that's ahead of us with uh, hearts that seek God, with hearts that desire to see change, with hearts that long to bring peace, peace to our communities, peace to our nation. Ask God to use you, to change you, to make a difference through you. I'm going to be praying for all of us as I pray for myself this week. And I'm trusting that God is going to bring great blessing as he does change in each of our lives in this week that is ahead. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. I hope you have a blessed week in the Lord. We'll talk to you soon, and we'll see you again next Sunday.